Well, hello and welcome back to Out of Curiosity. This is our podcast where we're looking for biblical clarity for modern questions. I am Garland. And I'm Nick. And we're, we're welcoming you back in. Here is the question for the day, and uh, especially in response to the COVID-19 coronavirus. Uh, we've gotten this question several times here in the last uh, few weeks. And the question is essentially this. When or, are, or can we, is it possible to view natural disasters and things that happen in the world as God's judgment on a particular people group or people, like I know that some people were were labeling like the tsunami back in 04 as a judgment on, you know, Southeast Asia or the Katrina hurricane. Is that a judgment on New Orleans? And, and we have that now. What do we do with these things that happen in the world and assigning that to God as some sort of judgment on a people? And that's not, that's, it's a weighty question. <laughs> yeah. So help us out, Nick, because uh, I'm just lobbying at you your way now. Sure. Well, yeah, a lot's riding on it. And and it's confusing because we have different kinds of stories in the biblical text and that that uh, um, that relate to this. So, we have to begin by saying that is clearly how God worked with Israel. And so God actually said he would do that. He would use natural disasters and national events to judge them for their sin. Okay. So in Deuteronomy chapter 28, when Israel's getting ready to go into the promised land, and he's telling them that they need to be loyal to him while they're in the land, uh, he says this, however, if you do not obey the Lord your God, this is through the mouth of Moses, and do not carefully follow all his commands and decrees I'm giving you today, all these curses will come on you and overtake you. Right. So it says you'll be cursed in the city and in the country. Your your crops won't grow. Um, you're going to experience diseases that are going to come in and, and uh, destroy you and fever, and you're going to die, and there's going to be all these terrible things happening because you disobeyed God. Okay. So we, we might be tempted to stop there and go, okay, so now we know how God works. If God's mad at you yes. as a country, uh-huh. he'll send diseases yes, and wars exactly. and, and earthquakes and things. And I guess if things are well in your land, then God must be happy with you. Yeah, and so that would be where I think a lot of people stop the discussion. And so they just, they assume that if a nation is prospering, that must mean that nation is honoring God. And if a nation goes through some kind of calamity, that must mean that that nation is sinful. Uh, They often will then apply the same thing to individuals. Right. So if you're prospering, if your family's doing well, if you're healthy, that must mean you're honoring God. And if something terrible is happening, then that must mean you're sinning and you're walking away from God. Right. And I can see why that'd be really scary. Be terrifying. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And so the problem with that is it's taking Deuteronomy 28 way out of context. Okay. And so Deuteronomy 28 is specifically given to Israel who's walking into a contract with God. Okay. As a nation, they are going to live in his holy land, in the promised land, and they are going to represent him to the nations. And so this is working at a national level for Israel in the Old Testament. All right. Now, so even within the Old Testament, um, we have some examples that that does not mean you can one-to-one assume every bad thing happens because someone sinned. Okay. Most notably, the book of Job. Right. So the book of Job, one of its purposes seems to be to destroy that idea that everything is one-to-one. If something bad happens in your life, it's because you sinned. Mm Mm-hmm. So while that is true at a national level, 
of what God expects of Israel, even in the Old Testament, we're told that doesn't necessarily mean that one-to-one principle works at the individual level. Okay. Um, so that, that's a helpful distinction because that can be, that could almost be plaguing with fear. Absolutely. To think that kind of thinking individually for me. Yes. So we're, we're dispelling that and, and we're, you're saying the book of Job essentially dispels that. Notion. It dispels okay. That, okay. that idea that it works one-to-one that way. Okay. Um, that, now this, this idea of God's judgment coming on people in response to sin is also described as what's going to happen at the second coming. Okay. We see these descriptions of some of these horrific kinds of things, plagues and natural disasters associated with God's judgment uh, on the world and on nations that rebel against him at the second the coming. So it would be easy to go, okay, all the way back to the beginning, first five books of the Old Testament, Torah, Deuteronomy, you have this idea for Israel that God's going to use these natural disasters to judge the rebellious nation. And then you get Revelation at the end, and you see, okay, well, here's God using these natural disasters to judge the nations. Seems like a pattern. Seems like a pattern. That's what God does is he uses these natural disasters to, uh, to, to bring judgment. However, we need to look at what happens in between. So there's a middle. There's those a are, those middle. Are bookends. There's a middle. Those are okay. bookends. There's a middle. And, and by the way, that middle just happens to be where we live okay. and where we find ourselves. So we need to understand what happens now. How is the world functioning now? And I think Jesus actually speaks directly to this situation in a couple of different settings. One happens in John chapter 9. And in John chapter 9, uh, Jesus and the disciples, they come across a man who is born blind from birth. Okay. Uh, born blind from birth, a little redundant there. Um, and, uh, and the disciples ask him, teacher, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Look at the assumption in their question. Right, right. This man is experiencing a disability. It has to be the direct result of someone's sin. Mm-hmm. So is it this man's sin or his parents? And Jesus' answer is, neither this man nor his parents sinned. This happens so the works of God to be displayed. So what Jesus does is he refuses to let them make a one-to-one connection between some individual sin and this particular hardship. Seems like Jesus had read Job. It seems like yeah, he had read right. Job and he knew to apply it in that situation. Another thing happens is um, in Luke chapter 13, uh, there were some people with Jesus, and there had been some story. We don't know the historical details about this, but there's a story about some Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with sacrifices. Right. So looks like Pilate killed some Jews and did this horrible, dishonoring thing, mixing their blood with sacrifices, probably Roman pagan sacrifices. Mm-hmm. And so they're talking about it. And Jesus says this, do you think these Galileans were worse sinners than all the Galileans, all the other Galileans, because they suffered this way? Jesus is saying, wait, do you think because they suffered this horrible fate that made them worse sinners than everyone else? Mm-hmm. And he says, no. He said, anyone, unless you repent, will also perish. And then Jesus gives a second example. He says, so there are 18 people who died when a tower fell on them. The Tower of Siloam fell on them. Do you think they were more guilty than everybody else in Jerusalem? He says, I'm telling you, no. Unless you repent, you're all going to perish. So what Jesus seems to be saying here is when you see these horrible things happen uh, in the news, you know, at this time we have, you know, we have modern news media. This time it's the word of mouth. They hear these horrible stories of tragedies. And Jesus is saying, don't go assuming that these people who suffered some tragic event suffered because their sins directly merited that right, event. Right. And uh, he says that that is the wrong assumption to make. Um, but what Romans 8 tells us is that actually all of creation is groaning and waiting for the new creation for things to be made right. And so what seems to be a much a better way to view this is because 
uh, Romans 8 also says that God works all things together for good. There is this sense that all creation is broken and horrible things happen like disease, like tsunamis and earthquakes, and those are the result of living in a broken world affected by sin. So at a general level, when there is a virus, when there is an earthquake, in general, we can say that's not the way the world was meant to be. Okay. That is not what God designed to happen in this world. That happens because this world is in rebellion against their one true God. And if we are reflective, spiritually sensitive people, that should lead us to go, and I'm kind of broken too. Mm-hmm. I'm not how I'm meant to be. And I need this world needs to be redeemed. This world needs to be healed, and I need to be healed. And Romans 8 seems to suggest that in some way, the healing of the world is tied to the healing of people. Mm-hmm. That when humanity is redeemed by Jesus, the world is going to be redeemed and made to as well. Well, just, just to state it, because I'm, I'm, I pulled it up here and I'm reading it, and I'm like, yeah, that's so, that's so interesting. This is Romans 8, verses 18 to, to uh, 20. I consider, Paul says, that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. And here's what you're alluding to, verse 19. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. That's Mm -hmm. a crazy thought. Verse 20. For the creation was subjected to frustration, Mm -hmm. not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. That is an amazing couple of verses right there. Yeah. But yeah, I, I see what you're saying, that there's a frustration in yeah. this world, and it's it seems to be tethered to the liberation of God's people, that this this grand story of redemption and new creation, God is working on that story, mm-hmm. but we're not there yet. That's yes. just, what a, what a, just a mind blow. So a couple of things to take out of that for, for a big picture way to think about it. First of all, what Jesus says is when you see these natural disasters, don't go dividing up the sinners mm-hmm. and assume that because the natural disaster happened in this part of the world, those people were special sinners deserving of special judgment. He says, no, don't, don't go there. Actually, all are sinful. All need to repent. And so a natural disaster is not an evidence of a certain people group being more sinful or more needing of judgment. And that that's, Pausing us there. Yep. That is really, we need to know that. Yeah. Uh, I think it's, I think it can be quick for people to assign good guys and bad guys, yep. winners and losers, the right side of history, the wrong side of history, you know, pick your example. Mm-hmm. And that is helpful for us to not go. That can, that can often drip with arrogance and yes. smugness and in vindictiveness and meanness. Mm-hmm. And I don't really get the sense that that's how Jesus wants his no. people to be look talking and sounding in this world that doesn't sound like light to me no 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 and, and so and, and even that leads us kind of our second point is in romans 8 god's desire is to redeem the whole world and so god's heart in this is not they're sinners let me go smash them it's they're sinners let me go redeem them mm-hmm. and so if in anything in when we experience the pain of living in a broken world god is drawing people to himself in that now Another thing that I think is worth saying is there's also a principle that people reap what they sow. So this is the time when I feel comfortable attaching a negative consequence to a sin is when the negative consequence is the direct result of the sin. Okay, yeah, that's helpful. So for example, if... um, if I'm being reckless and going out and driving my car 120 miles an hour and I smash my car and break my leg, 
the pain of my broken leg is is the result yeah, of my result driving. Of, yeah, I mean, the result of your bad driving. Yeah. So I, I I don't I don't feel I, I don't feel uncomfortable telling people, yeah, you broke your leg because you were driving 120 miles an hour. Um, so that that's a more silly example. But when the consequence is the direct result of an action, well, then sure, those are tied. But that doesn't necessarily tell us anything about God's disposition towards us. Mm-hmm. Um, Hebrews says that God disciplines, a father disciplines those he loves. And so sometimes even discipline is actually a picture of love, not judgment. Yeah, uh, that, and that's, that's, that's important. Yeah, that's important to note. Crucial, crucial idea to have there. So, um, so generally, when, when we look at something going on like this, I think our biblical posture, our biblical way to think is I would be very slow to assume that we know God's purposes in the world as it's working sovereignly outside of what he's directly said in Scripture. Okay. So God tells us his purposes of what's going on, but I would be very, very slow and hesitant to go assigning a specific purpose to a specific natural event. Okay. Um, Now, what I think we can do is ask, what is a good biblical response to this event? Mm -hmm. And so if, if in the face of a natural disaster... Um, people are suddenly aware that they're small and they're suddenly aware that life is fragile and, uh, and that death is real, then a response of repentance and coming to faith is a really great response. Mm-hmm. And so oftentimes, tragic things will make us aware of our broken situation and that will lead to Christ. And I think that's a very appropriate response in the face of a disaster like that. Yeah, for some reason, my mind went to Jesus sort of reflecting on uh, some of the, the pain and frustration of the world will go to in the what we call the Olivet Discourse in mm-hmm. Matthew 24. For some reason, my mind went here. I'll just read it. He says, nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There's going to be famines and earthquakes, so wars and famine and earthquake and all these bad things. And he says, he says this is not the end. This is in uh, Matthew 24, verses 7 and 8. It says, these are the beginnings of birth pains. Right. And uh, we've both, we have not had children. Our wives have had children, but <laughs> yeah. uh, we've been around for that. And the birth pains alert the body that something is coming. Yeah. They alert the body to be ready. And I think that's the posture that I think would be helpful. So even when we're sitting in our culture right now with this coronavirus thing that's been uh, sweeping the whole world and, and life is very drastically different right now, it's a birth pain. It's supposed yeah. to alert us to yeah. that they're, they're to, to the spiritual realities of the world, to the frustration that this world is in. And so that's always been helpful for me. Just they get your attention and they should get your attention. And here's what's really exciting for those of us who are in Christ. Uh, John Piper, who's a pastor that you and I both listen to a lot, he talks about the difference between uh, birth pains and cancer pains. Right. Uh, and so birth pains alert you to the, although painful, the coming of new life. Cancer pains alert you to the threat of death. Right. And he says, for a believer, all suffering becomes birth pains. That's, that's like beautiful. <laughs> all suffering is the preparation for new life that's coming. Wow, that's cool. And that's a perspective we can bring into the world, um, that it's not in a face of a natural disaster. On the one hand, it's not the anxiety, panic, and worry that the world's going to end because our Savior's good. And, and he is in control, and he is going to bring this world to new creation. So it's not panic and, and anxiety. It's also not lack of compassion and flippant. It's not a big deal. Get over it. Or triumphalism. Or triumphalism. Look at our country. We're better. Or so, yeah. The, the, the Christ-like response is the birth pains are real, and they call for compassion 
and there's hope on the other side of this pain. And I think that's our, our proper response to these situations. Well, that's, that's really interesting. And, and we know that, that culture looks strange right now for a lot of us. And so as, as we're list, as we're recording this, uh, things are shut down and culture is sort of on lockdown. And so we know that's not going to be, we hope it's not going to be forever, but we recognize that you listen to this wherever you are. This is a reality that you're, you're probably experiencing right now, even in listening to this. And so we just wanted to speak to this. It's a present question that we're getting like in the here and now. And so we hope this has brought a little bit of biblical clarity to this <laughs> very modern, like right now question. And so thanks for listening to Out of Curiosity. Thank you for listening to Out of Curiosity as we discussed whether natural disasters are judgments from God. We encourage you to look into this even more and recommend looking in scripture at John 9, 1 through 3 and Luke 13, 1 through 5. We also recommend Walking with God Through Pain and Suffering by Timothy Keller. If you want to send in a question or contact us, go to oocuriosity.com and follow us on Instagram at oocuriosity. Be sure to subscribe to keep up with future episodes.